Welcome to the Encounter YA podcast, helping young adults follow Jesus. Here are your hosts, Garrett Cars and Annika Carter. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Today, we're interviewing Celebration Community Church's Worship and Discipleship Director, Nathan Perdue. We discuss Nathan's own journey to Christ and vocational ministry, how he approaches worship, and even his own passion for science and how that reflects in his faith. We loved being able to talk with Nathan and hope that you'll enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, we're so excited for the podcast today. We have um, a guest, an amazing guest, who believes he's unqualified to answer most of the questions that we have for today, which is not true. But we have on the podcast today, Nathan Perdue, who is the worship um, leader at our church, and we are excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me. That's probably the most flattering intro I've ever had, so I really appreciate that. <laughs> you probably have you not had many intros. Not many. <laughs> that's so, the one and only. That's a good, yeah. It, it, I mean, by that logic, I, it's also the worst intro, so right. it can only go up from there. Right, well, it probably stay close to the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah, I'm and, very grateful for the opportunity. Um, and so we're going to start just uh, like we do pretty much every podcast, but if you were talking to um, young adults, or if you could go back and even maybe even talk to yourself at, at an uh, early college age or whatever, what is um, one uh, thing or, or some advice that you would give give young adults? Yeah, I, I definitely can gravitate more to the, if I was going to talk to myself sure. before, because obviously like I've, I've lived through I, those experiences mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I think recently the things that, that have most captivated my attention and my desire, um, both for myself and for other people is just to live lives that are consistent with our values. Mm. Um, I think that that's probably one of the largest sources of like, not disagreement, but like of stress in our lives is, is when we say that we value something, whether it be God or education, and then we we look back at our actions and we can't see those mm-hmm. two corresponding to each other. And I, I definitely have felt that. Um, I'm trying to put things into my life that are, um, are more consistent with what I say I want to, but regardless of whether you're a person of faith or not, I think that that's a really important thing because then we all have to live with ourselves at mm-hmm. the end of the day. Um, so that's probably the place that I would I would most gravitate toward is living a life of consistency. Mediocrity is okay. Like <laughs> I think that that's another thing that I'm learning to mm. to be okay with with not being the best thing in the world. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not the best singer in the world. I know that may come as a shocker to you, (laughs) but like, I'm not the best theologian in the world, but like, I want to be the most consistent with the things that I say that I value. So, yeah. How would you, in terms of, um, values, I guess, how would you encourage somebody? Cause I think we talk about values in a lot of ways, but I think like in terms of like just making them tangible, if, if somebody's listening to the podcast and they're like, okay, that's great. But how do you, how do you set those values? And then how do you allow those values to kind of drive, drive your life? Yeah. I don't want to use like to like 
churchy of words, but I'm just like, you have mm-hmm. to start exegetically with the Bible. And I'm like, how boring <laughs> sure. is that? Like, I don't know you, if it's that boring. teasing. <laughs> 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 Accessible. We'll go with that, right? Um, I think that, you know, I've, I've said that as a follower of Jesus, I'm choosing to align myself with the values that he has set. Yeah. So the first question that I have to ask is, is what does Jesus value? Um, and, and after I try to answer that both through the power of the spirit speaking into my life, through my mm-hmm. covenant community speaking wisdom into my life, then I can you know, say, okay, these are the things that, that I value uh, that may not come very naturally to me, um, you know, honesty comes very naturally to, to me, but, you know, being kind about my honesty is, is one that I really struggle with. Um, joy is mm-hmm. another thing that I struggle with, yet I want to live a life where I can look at my actions and say, like, I showed the light of Christ in this way. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I wasn't right. Maybe I, maybe I wasn't, um, the winner of an argument or a conversation, but I showed love and I showed compassion and mm-hmm. I showed, and I showed joy. Um, not just as this kind of like happiness that people ask, like, what is he talking about? Like, why, right. why is this an inauthentic emotion? Um, but, but beyond something more long lasting and more staying, um, in that sense. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if that answers the mm-hmm. question. No, I think that's good. Yeah. I, I think that for some reason, at least in my mind, there's this disconnect between um, values, and and this is what your answer is. But there's this disconnect between values and living it out. And I think a lot of times the hard part is we haven't um, taken aim at the values in a way yeah. that. And so I think just the way you answered it in terms of like I value what Jesus valued, yeah. that gives people a starting place. And then and then living that out is yeah. the difficulty. And I think Jesus. Jesus modeled that and everything. And so I think I just wanted to give people kind of handles in terms of like, where should I start with that? There's an author I really like named Zach Hicks who talks about when making, you know, he's, he's talking specifically about worship leading, but he talks about climbing the abstraction ladder to inform the pragmatic. So I know that that seems really inaccessible, but like we have to go into these really difficult places. Like values are never really concrete things. What does it mean to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to value a life mm-hmm. of honesty when we can make up these situations where it's probably more loving to be a little bit dishonest. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, one of the famous thought experiments in this is you're in Nazi Germany, 1944, mm-hmm. harboring Jews. The SS comes to your door and says, are you harboring? Like, mm-hmm. what's the more ethically right thing to do mm-hmm. to, to lie or to protect that life, right? So we can see the the issue with these these abstract like value definitions. However, when we use the abstract to inform how we're actually going to go to the grocery store, then it makes it a little bit easier, right? Mm, you know, yeah. I'm not I'm not in 1944. Um, Germany and I shouldn't live as if I am because mm-hmm. that's not true to my context. But one, once I actually use that abstraction and I and I filter it through the lens of what do am I actually doing? What is my reality? Then I can start to figure out like how I'm supposed to live. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, that's good. Uh, the second question that we always start our podcast off with is if you were um, to give per- somebody one um, book. Or even, and doesn't necessarily have to be a book, but what yeah. would one 
one thing that you would recommend? Um, I guess I'll talk about two. Um, the first of which is, um, I'm really into an author named David Foster Wallace right now. And if you haven't ever heard his speech um, that he gave, it was a commencement speech in 2005 to Kenyan college graduates. I mean, it talks about the purpose of education. Um, mm. And a lot of times, you know, in my class, I had the quintessential kid that would raise his hand and say, when am I ever going to use this in my right. life? And as a middle school science teacher, there's a lot of things that I can't honestly say like, oh, this is where you're going to use the knowledge of carrying capacity of the <laughs> right. ecosystem. Like it, it, it's not necessarily that practical, but it, it talked about, or, or Wallace talks about the idea that a liberal arts education is uh, made for the purpose of you being able to experience something through someone else's eyes you know we are really really selfish in our perspective mm -hmm. because every single experience we've ever gone through is through our eyes it's through our context and and perhaps the liberal arts education's purpose is to enable us to think outside of like i'm not the most important person in my world and mm -hmm. perhaps there are others that um that can can benefit from the 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 benefit of the doubt, right? So, um, I I would recommend that. I think it's really really good. It's really paradigm shifting in in terms of like the the whole world isn't about you. Shocker, right? <laughs> um, the other one that that I recently read that's that's helped me a lot is a book by an author named Mike Cosper, and it's called Recapturing the Wonder: Transcendent Faith mm -hmm. in a Disenchanted World. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I. Um, when I went to school, I got a chemistry degree. I think that um, in a lot of ways, my natural look at anything is a, a look of skepticism. Mm -hmm. um, and and Cosper kind of underlines practices that you can that you can go through to to remember that we don't just live in this cold um, analytic world, but mm -hmm. it's alive with the presence of God. Um, mm -hmm. And I really, wow. really gravitated toward that. Another one that I read recently uh, is Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, uh, a kind of a trippy sci-fi thing that just talks about, you know, I guess this is this is kind of a strange way to put it, but pleasing ourselves to death. Um, mm -hmm. the, the basic premise of the, um, the book is that um, society is um, is delineated into these different classes of of people. So, like epsilons are uh, the the working class, and then betas and alphas are up higher, more of the white collar kind of people. But everyone just works so that they can get a drug to minimize their suffering. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of a, a, a very meta look at our society today, which is mm -hmm. very, very pleasure driven. Sure. We don't necessarily look for um, truth in the same way that, that mm -hmm. probably um, the 19, from the 1940s to the 1970s people did. Um, but we look for pleasure. We look for how will I enjoy my existence, that kind of thing. So very, very interesting if you're into mm -hmm. that sci-fi kind of stuff. Very, yeah, very strange. That's good. So most people listening um, may know you as our church's worship pastor, or they may not, but um, could you give us a little background into who you are and then also a little bit about your story slash testimony? Yeah, 
Um, so I'm surprised, I would be surprised if people just knew me as like the worship leader and not just the dirty hippie guy. Um, <laughs> I, I tend to run that one into that one much more frequently awesome. than like the worship leader. Sure. Um, but you know, like I always say that I have a very low level of expectations in, in people's minds. So if I look super dirty, people are like, yeah, this is totally natural for Nathan. But if I look good, then, wow, wow he's Nathan. really trying, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I would say that I I kind of embody the the quintessential, like, city-dwelling Coloradan look. I'm from Whoop. Denver. Yes, uh, the, it's amazing there. Um, <laughs> my parents still live there. My sister still lives there as well. Um, but I still cling to that Coloradan identity, even though I've been in Hayes almost 10 years now. Um, I wasn't born in Colorado, um, though I really gravitate toward that identity. I was actually born in Fort Knox, Kentucky. My dad was in the army, so um, he was moved from Fort Knox to Colorado Springs, where he was honorably discharged, and then he found a job um, in Denver when we moved up to Parker, if you're familiar with the Denver area. Um, as far as uh, a question of faith, both of my parents were Southern Baptists, and um, my dad grew up in Kansas City, Kansas. My mom is from Kentucky, um, but they met uh, at at the University of Kentucky. Um, so I've been the the like non denominational poster boy my entire life. <laughs> sure. um, but toward Toward the latter years of high school, I became very disenchanted, both through moral failings of my pastors and just generally the image of Christians. Um, so I was like, wow, if that's what Christianity is like, and I, I made the mistake of of equating Christians' behavior to the characteristics of God. Sure. Um, so when I... Um, so when I graduated, I was just like, yeah, I'm probably not going to go to church anymore. Um, and then fast forward to uh, coming to Hayes, Kansas, I, I ran cross country and track here. That's the only reason I actually know that Hayes, Kansas exists mm -hmm. is because I came to run um, my junior year uh, of college is when I became more interested in questions uh, of faith. Um, started coming to celebration during my junior year, um, began helping with the worship team shortly thereafter. Um, and then I think it was like August of 2014 or maybe 2015. I can't remember. Uh, not that it really matters all that much anyway. Um, but that's when I started leading worship week in and week out. I, I'd been a part of the band for, for a while, um, been leading in when there were two services that happened mm -hmm. simultaneously. Many of us who are listening probably don't know that that actually <laughs> yeah. happened. That was, that was a mess. Showing our age, <laughs> right. but that's fine. Um, but I would, I would help lead in the celebration services while the edge services were, were happening. Um, but then, um, August of probably, I think it was 2015, I don't remember, and I don't that really care all right. that much, <laughs> um, is when I started leading pretty much full-time, and here we are five years from then, and I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing, so. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> some some weeks are, be are better than others, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So you, you did mention kind of um, leaving the church for a little while. Do you feel like that was mostly due to just how you viewed um, pastors and Christians, or do you feel there was more to that? Yes, I think that I've become a lot more gracious about people like being... <laughs> 
not being failures, right? But like sure. the moral pa- failings of people don't necessarily denigrate their identity in my eyes anymore. I think that there's still a lot of hypo- hypocrisy within the church. Uh, there's a lot of hypocrisy within me. I'm I'm working on that, and I I trust and try to see the good in people that that they're trying to uh, resolve that hypocrisy. Um, but I think that the things that really that really moved me away from the church were people twisting the scriptures so that they could say that they were right mm-hmm. at any cost. Um, and that's a really dangerous thing to do is yeah. to make something that we we classify as sacred agree with you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in Hebrews 4, it talks about the word of God as a, as a double-edged sword um, able to pierce bone and marrow. And I think that that sword points within. Mm-hmm. When we swing the Bible as a weapon, we kind of take the place of God. Whereas when we allow God to point that sword within to us, then we get to actually accept the invitation into something better that that God leads us. And I think that I had to, in a lot of ways, divorce myself from from that method of thinking of, of mm-hmm. I need to be right. Um, or <laughs> the Bible needs to prove that I'm right. Yeah. Um, and I And I also needed to to separate my faith from my parents. Not that I, we no longer identify as Christians because both of us do, um, but but our faith looks different. Um, and that's okay because it's real for me now and, and it's real for them. And I think that that's special. I don't expect them to agree with me um, on every little issue. Um, and how boring would it be in the church if it was just an echo chamber where we all just thought the same thing? Yeah. Um, so I think that uh, learning to learning to enjoy and embrace um, and find that that diversity is almost sacred has been a really good thing for me. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I think a lot of people have that same experience where their problematic questions were always either like there was a very simple answer taped over it or uh, it was discouraged from being asked. And, and one of the things that I've really enjoyed about the community at Celebration is, is people have walked through those questions with me not giving me the answers, but mm-hmm. allowing me to come to those on my own and hopefully the Holy Spirit's guiding right. <laughs> um, to, to answer those questions, to, to, to be able to not just like, <laughs> I don't want to pur- like purport a false narrative of like, all my questions are answered because I think I have more questions now than I did, but I'm much, I, I care more about trusting God than being right, if if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's certainly. good. No, that's really good. How would you? I think that at least for me, and probably everybody who is um, is listening who had parents who are Christian, they, I think you said, kind of we I separated my faith from my parents' faith, and not that there's anything wrong with either either one, right. but if there were somebody who we're kind of walking through that mm-hmm. process right now. What was, because for me at least, I rebelled for my parents' faith. Yeah. And now that I've kind of swung full circle and had conversations and even even the de- denomination that my parents mm-hmm. belong to, I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I kind of agree <laughs> with 99% of, of their theology. And so I would say, what would be something that you would just encourage yeah. people to walk through that? I, I definitely uh, resonate with you. I was, I was much more interested in the party scene my freshman and sophomore year. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily call that like 
denying their sure. faith, but I sure. I was never convicted into following that same way. Um, and this this might be kind of offensive. I hope it's not. But like we're really sheltered. Mm-hmm. Every single person, like I myself included, I did not know of the experiences of other faith traditions than my own. Um, and and being able to see uh, some of the more sacramental traditions and and just like the history of the church, those have uh, compelled me in ways that that are different than my parents' faith. And when I talk to them about you know the fact that I really love this liturgy, they're just like, oh, I can't relate, and and that's okay. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I wouldn't say that my parents and I are at huge like <laughs> ends of a spectrum where like my Christianity looks totally different. Uh, but I think that one of the beauties of the Christian church is is we're united within the Apostles' Creed. Mm-hmm. Um, that is like the essential. Um, and then there are things that are helpful for some traditions and unhelpful for some traditions, um, and that's okay. And it's worth s- separating so that you can practice in those ways that are that are helpful. Yeah. However, um, it doesn't make them wrong. Um, and getting to see every tradition in the best light has been a, a really powerful way for me to relate to someone outside of my experience and to be welcomed into a family. I mean, yeah. that's what that's what Christianity is. It's not just you believe these right things and you're not going to burn when you die, <laughs> but it's like you are literally welcomed into a family started by Jesus Christ and family has growing pains, yeah. but like that doesn't mean that you let go of each other because you disagree, because you you know, don't see things in the same way. We're united by more than what we think. That's good. That's um, good. Yeah, that's good. So there's, um, you kind of mentioned about when you first started coming to celebration and I know Garrett and I know this story, but, um, I would, we would like to share with the rest of the audience about, um, how you ended up at celebration. (laughs) That's why, that's why you wrote this question. (laughs) We'd like, we'd like to hear how you ended up here. basically is our question. Yes. So I'm going to proceed this with a scripture to make myself look a little bit better. Um, so Proverbs 1633 says the lot is cast in to the lab, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Um, That's good. Hey, whole, and guess what? Like Matthias was chosen by casting lots. Exactly. So I, think, I think you're in the clear. Exactly. So basically, we're just like Christians speaking over the fact that I lost a bet to get uh, <laughs> to go to church. And at the beginning of my junior year, I started living with uh, many of the listeners will probably know Trey from seeing um him around campus, but Trey Giles. Um, and we had made a bet and neither of us for the life of us can remember what this bet was for. I only knew that I only know now that if I lost, I had to go to church with him. Clearly I lost and here I am like at, at church. So, um, I think this was funny. You sent you sent me this other uh, this other question that uh, do you think gambling is biblical if used as a tool for evangelism? <laughs> and, you forgot that part. And I think that I was that plug is it. <laughs> so. Everyone who has ever had a conversation with me will know that I take a really, really long time to not answer the question. <laughs> so, like. My the short answer will be like it depends. Forty five minutes right. later, <laughs> the 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 longer answer is think of the biblical witness as the people 
um, who were doing things that we would call morally wrong that God still used. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not going to comment on whether Trey <laughs> did something morally wrong. <laughs> and I, I've, I've cleared this with him. Don't worry. I'm not, uh, throwing him, <laughs> under, the throwing him under the yeah. bus. Um, but like, I think about someone like Rahab who ran uh, a brothel mm-hmm. and yet she is counted in the, the yes. witness in Hebrews yeah. uh, as some uh, someone with admirable faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's really important to to note that I saw Trey's character, and had he been two faced with me and like made this bet about like oh we need to go to church, and yet was was doing things that that and being unrepentant about right. like being hypocritical i don't think i would have ever like agreed to and kept the terms but but i saw his genuine desire to welcome other people into a place that he felt loved and he felt like he belonged and that's why i was like you know what what's the worst that can happen you know i (laughs) i had this mentality of like i'm going to go one time i'm going to survive say "Mm, not for me and then go on but uh, from that that was probably the time that I began consistently going back to church and yeah. consistently consistently getting into the scriptures because because I saw the people that I admired their character and I saw how it compelled them. Um, so, yeah, that it, I think it's really really important to note that we're going to screw up, but it's how we respond to that <laughs> and and even if we do things that are somewhat questionable, this is not an endorsement. Um, <laughs> but if we do things that are questionable and people see our character beyond that, that might be the method in which God is using for his purpose to be accomplished. And yeah. that's kind of a a really interesting way to look at even those little mundane things. Like, you know, I I listened to John's pon- podcast and he was talking about like not getting mad at the fast food clerk right. that was taking his order and that's what compelled somebody to go to church mm-hmm. that's a low threshold <laughs> yeah, you know is. like right. but right but if if that's the simple thing if people if the world is looking for a christian to just like be consistent yeah then man yeah we've got all of us can do something right? right all of us can try to live lives of consistency and there there are some people that that won't even respond to that but that's okay yeah no, I think that's good. Yeah. Would you say that was kind of the the only thing that really compelled you to go back to church? Was that the main thing? Was people's character? Was was there anything else that you felt like? And I'm not trying to give like a huge no, promotion no, not, to, not at all. to celebration, but just like what what was that thing? Because I mean, we're all still here. Now we're working yeah. here. And I, <laughs> right. so, I mean, I think there's something for all of us. We walked away from the right. church from a point in time. What was, was there anything else that really... Yeah. Um, compelled you to come to return and we hear this all the time from from the other end but like i felt like i was welcome to just be here to just listen Mm -hmm. i wasn't immediately expected to say the right things to uh, change my life i you know i can recount countless stories of my moral failings since attending celebration however like i felt that there was something else that compelled me to be here. And I really think that that community, that that familial bond mm-hmm. is the thing that that has has kept me and it's kept me in haze. 
Uh, yeah. had you, had you told me at the beginning of college that I would still be living in Hayes, <laughs> I would have probably just started walking away. Yeah. Uh, you're crazy, dude. <laughs> I'm going back to somewhere that I actually like. However, like here I am. Yeah. Uh, and, and, <laughs> you know, as many times as I can find things wrong with Western Kansas, there's something more that compels me to stay. And it's that. Mm-hmm. That idea that I am in a family and I don't leave just because I don't like the weather or right. something mm-hmm. other than yeah. that. Um, yeah, I, I felt that since the beginning, and even you know, even people welcoming me and then allowing me to sit by myself and engage in in worship and right. in the sermon on my own terms has been something that's been really, really powerful and really welcoming for me and that probably compelled me to stay more than got me into the door sure but um that's that's how i would respond to that no that's great that's great um and you kind of mentioned a little bit at the beginning of the podcast um just that you were a school teacher um but and then you transitioned into into kind of vocational ministry what was um could you kind of tell us a story and maybe a little bit of why you ended up transitioning yeah in a in a lot of ways um I think that we have this this I, this Moses in the burning bush idea of being called into vocational ministry, mm-hmm. and and I never had that, um, but I, I I think I'm more encouraged by um, Augustine's idea of like general revelation versus special revelation, and like sometimes the way that God has revealed his his right path is through logical reasons <laughs> as, as well. Um, it, it didn't take this huge like burning bush moment where I was just in the presence of God and he said, go be the worship leader, you know, you know, like, um, but I've, I've been leading worship as I mentioned for five years, but that has come at a, at a huge price at, at times. There were times that I was working at the middle school w- about 60 hours a week, then leading worship, which is uh, a pretty significant time. And then I was coaching as well. Um, so I've really found that I've been invited into kind of a season of rest. And I feel like I'm a lot more effective because I don't have 800 things going on. You know, I felt like I was stretched so thin that um, that I was incompetent in everything that I was doing. Mm. Um, and just this was kind of, you know, a, it, selfishly it was a way for me to create margin, but I felt that change my spiritual life and change my ministerial effectiveness wow. is actually having time to to be with God mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than just accomplish things for him you know teaching yeah. is a noble profession and I I love it and I miss it um, I'm still grateful that I I still coach because I still get to go um, and and hang out with the middle schoolers uh, that sounds like a terrible time for a lot of people <laughs> but it, they're, they're pretty cool um, but like yeah being able to actually rest and actually like delight, in my work rather than just accomplish, 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 make sure yeah. that it, it yeah. exists, not that it's like good, has been a really powerful call to me. Um, I would say that ministry is is different um, and it's going to be a different struggle than a typical nine to five or teach. I mean, teaching is a hard job. Yeah. This one is, is equally hard in a very different way. Um, 
you know, and this is something that that I'm kind of learning, both as Christians and as vocational ministers, you have to be able to pour your heart into something that someone else will completely ignore and not appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, you're you are kind of expected to love those who, and expect no reciprocation mm-hmm. out of that. And, you know, love and hate aren't really opposites because hate is a, another passionate emotion, but love and indifference, I would say, are the two options. So when when you pour all this love into something or, or someone and you just receive indifference back, yeah. that can be really, really difficult um, to, to just, you know, it shakes you to your identity to, to be like, I've, I've tried to invest and I've tried to make this work. Um, but like, you have to have a, a deeper sense of purpose beyond the reciprocation of someone's love. And I think that that's probably a, a way that ministry is hard. It's hard in other ways. Um, but you know, it's, it's emotionally taxing and I, I wouldn't like recommend that everyone become vocational ministers because it's, it's difficult. And sometimes there are a lot of questions of like, man, is this what I should be doing? I've, I mentioned it before that I had a chemistry degree. Sometimes uh, in moments of, of failure, I've looked up salaries for people with chemistry degrees and like, that could be <laughs> a lot more worth my time, but I can't, I can't convince myself to do it because yeah. I see the necessity of, of what I'm doing. And I think that the purpose of that work is a greater compulsion than money, um, than the reciprocation of love, because I, you know, I, I really feel strongly in in that area, but I, I, I know that's kind of rambling and I, no, I I think that's good. No, I think that's good. And I think that I know that a lot of people who are listening to the podcast are feeling that calling to vocational ministry. And, and I've always just tried to been really honest. Like, it's not just something, um, you just do like, and that's what, uh, I don't know if you have ever heard this, but I remember pastor Kyle, uh, the kind of the founder, he is the founder of, if you can do anything, if you can do do anything else, do it. He always says, if you feel called to ministry, if you can do anything else, do it. And I never understood yeah. that until like, I that started doing. Depressing. Well, it is, <laughs> right. but right. I think I think that what's rung true that statement mm-hmm. out of everything that he says, besides "I have good news for you," out of everything right. else that he said, that statement has always landed squarely on me. And so right. I think just being real with people about vocational ministry is is something that I want to do. Um, uh, one of the other questions we wanted to change kind of in light of this is how has your perspective of worship changed due to kind of the changing yeah. in career? Yeah, I think that, you know, words have a lot of lasting power. And and when you say worship or you, you say something like um, the Bible or prophecy or something like that, that immediately calls to mind some sort of image. Um, and I think that, in a lot of ways, the church has gone one of two ways. Um, we've either said that, you know, your mission outside of the church building is so important that it doesn't matter what you do in the room on Sunday or, or Saturday or Wednesday or whatever that may be. So maybe that would, we could call that uh, a, a strong missiological 
um, view of of worship. Should should my character be consistent? Should I live, you know, Romans 12, 1, live a life wholly pleasing to God, offer your body as a living sacrifice? Um, and we've neglected the power of corporate worship that that's gathered together. Um, or we so emphasize that gathering and being present at that, that we think, oh, I've checked the box to show that I'm a Christian, therefore I can live however I want to. And I think that the the way my view of worship has changed is that those two things are identically worshipful. It's not an either or dichotomy, but it's a both and. That's good. Um, and a lot of you know, a lot of time, I get to just sit and and think deeply about like what worship is. And I think very strongly that that human nature is not logical primarily, but it's worshipful and it's desiring primarily. Mm-hmm. So worship is not only just uh, the act of, of singing or something like that, but it's a natural response. Uh, we are all worshiping almost all the time. It's not a question of if we're worshiping, but what we are worshiping. Um, but then Christian worship specifically calls to mind the the act of devotion and admiration to God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that can be done both inside and outside the gathered context. So we have to realize that the, the gathered church is the ground zero for all of the work that we do outside of our gatherings. Yeah. So there's power when we gather and the Holy Spirit is with us and among us giving us strength, you know, um, to be then the voice of God out in our communities. And each of those are acts of worship. So I think that in a lot of ways, that has been the biggest change for me is, is to see that both things are worship or to perhaps realize that worship in the gathering is not only singing, but we're worshiping when we are engaged in the reading and the preaching of God's word and we're worshiping when we engage in sacraments, you know, at at celebration, we, we say that, um, communion and baptism are the two sacramental things that that we do, but those are acts of, of worship. They're Mm -hmm. primarily ground, grounded in worship, um, to, to see and believe and then to respond in, in an appropriate manner. So I think (laughs) this is kind of a, a strange thing to say, but the places I feel that I'm being most most reverent in worship is watching someone else get baptized or getting to take communion every single week because those are places that I feel that I'm responding, even though, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm responsible for all the music that happens. And I don't want to downplay that right. because singing is is a command that has extensive biblical precedent, but the way that I specifically feel is is I feel most reverent. I feel most respondent to God yeah. when I engage in, in, yeah. in those specific acts. That's good. That's good. Um, you mentioned your degree and even teaching. Um, so you, we know that you have a love of science. We know that you have a love of God. Do you kind of believe, and, and I think that the world has tried to tell us, but do you believe that those two things are at odds with one another? Okay. I, I feel like I have to put in this aside that I am a novice <laughs> in in both things. I am I'm an amateur theologian. I am an amateur scientist. And 
I'm going to probably be kind of upsetting with my answer because my answer is it depends. <laughs> um, what? Nathan is answering with it depends? Yeah, right. Shocker. <laughs> the, uh, the world is still going around the sun. Um, I think... It, is it know, though? <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> yes. So I'll, I'll go down that rabbit trail for a second. Um, we've known that the world was uh, an oblate spheroid for a pretty long time now. Okay, um, the idea of being flat Earth was actually a nineteenth, early nineteenth, late eight, uh, excuse me, late nineteenth, early twentieth century insult to be like, okay, you are so backwater, like backwoods, you don't know anything. I bet you think the Earth is flat too. And someone probably got called a flat Earther, then thought about it for a second, like, wait. The Earth is flat, like, and that is how all these crazy. Uh, you at least have one crazy friend on Facebook that's like, the government is lying to you about everything. The world is flat, and out of all the government organizations to mistrust, NASA is a really interesting one of them. You know, like, okay, dropping that aside, <laughs> um, I think that that science and religion are focused on fundamentally different questions. Uh, I know that in evangelical circles, the word religion ha oftentimes is is a very um, pejorative. It's a very negative yeah. uh, context, but I don't see it as that. I just see it as you know the act of uh, worship. Right. Okay. Um, but I think that science is really, really interested in how things work and and looking through evidence based um, kind of explanations of how things work. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really funny how we choose what things that we like the evidence for and we don't like the evidence for. I mean, like not a lot of people are like, you know, I'm a Christian, but I also believe in the water cycle, you know, because we're totally okay with that. And when we look at the Bible, you know, we have to realize that the biblical witness was written two people who had fundamentally different questions than we did. Um, so their understanding of, of water, uh, why it rained, was uh, you know when God splits the, the waters to make the earth, that means that there is water up above and water down below. And so when it rains, there are holes in the, uh, the expanse in between the waters above and the waters below, and that's where rain comes from. Now we, we're like, I mean, it's clouds, right? <laughs> Evaporation and condensation. You all remember the Bill Nye video. Um, but I think that religion uh, and questions of religion are focused on why and what is the purpose. Um, and, and those are both equally compelling to me. I think the, da the danger of, of being too scientific is when you go, when you stop looking at evidence-based application and you start talking philosophy, which is not something that I think that science is ready to answer, though there would be a lot of people that would disagree with me and have pretty compelling answers right. uh, for that. Um, and I think that when uh, the the thing that I'm more interested in is, is asking the question, what did the biblical writers, because we try to get our, our explanations from the text, what did they intend? Did they intend to make a postmodern scientific explanation out of this, or are they calling to something deeper? 
are they setting out something more philosophical? Um, you know, Genesis 1 has a lot of tabernacle um, language within it. So it's not just talking about, okay, this is literally where on this day, this is happening. On this day, this is happening. But it's also talking about the order that God makes from the chaos. And to read that rightly to the author's intent is is really good. I mean, I could spend all my time thinking that plants were made before the sun. And I know that photosynthesis requires plants to have. So, or I could say, you know what? This person is trying to answer a fundamentally different question than the question that I am reading into. Um, you, we, you and I have talked about John Walton, uh, who's yeah. a theologian that talks about the lost world of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And he talks about swimming in the Bible's cultural river. And I think that he he does an amazing job of of talking about this. Um, and he likens swimming, not swimming in a cultural river, to going to a different country and getting off the bus or the train and and looking around with your backpack and your knee high tube socks that are white and your camera and saying, "Now where's the McDonald's?" You know, <laughs> like that's not engaging with the culture of the the region in which you are. Yeah. Um, and in the same way, we have to engage in the culture of, of history. Um, I just want to give you kind of a fun um, illustration that, that reflects this. Um, we mentioned, when I say the word, you know, I'll just use Genesis 1-1, okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When I say the word earth, what do you think of? Physical earth, like so, like dirt. Is that yeah, what you would say? Like, okay, yeah, or like the globe. I guess. Okay, the like globe. I picture the globe. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's uh, if we think about the globe, is it standing on anything? Is it supported by anything like an ornament, or is it? It's kind of just like floating in space, it's hanging right. out. It's right. just <laughs> hanging out. How long have we had that actual image of the globe? I don't know exactly, but not more than, I don't know, like a bajillion years. Just <laughs> not a bajillion years. And this this is something that I researched for the Bible Foundations class, and I was like totally caught off guard. It's like 80 like, years. No. So the 1940s like <laughs> are the first time that we had a composite image of mm -hmm. the curvature of the earth. But until we actually had people out in space, which the space race is late 50s, early 60s. That's when we got pictures of like the globe as we would imagine it. So if our understanding of that, and we've known the world was spherical for longer than that, but we didn't have that mental right. image. If that's just 60 years within someone's lifetime, if we think about Genesis and the author 3000 years, what was he probably meaning? Right. When he said God created the heavens and the earth, was he saying God created the oblate spheroid that is circumnavigating the sun at 116 kilometers an hour? No, probably not. He probably would be very, very bored by me saying that, just as you are. I see your eyes glazing over. <laughs> That's okay. Um, but he's trying to say in the beginning, God created what's down here and what's up there. And, and he's compelled by that because yeah. God is the order bringer from the chaos. Um, I could That's go good. into a, a, a lot more about like the, the idea of water meaning chaos, and, but I think it's important to 
to always remember that, you know, the Bible is written for us, but it isn't written to us. And to read things into the Bible is a really dangerous thing to do. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. When when we're talking about questions of science and and religion, when they appear to contradict, I think that we have three, like, alternatives of how we respond to that. The first thing that we can do is we can throw away religious sources in favor of science, which I think is reductive because science is not well equipped to talk about things beyond material interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I if I talk about my love for my spouse, there are chemicals that are compelling me to feel a certain way but that's not it that's not the sum of of my feeling of love but there's something greater than that material explanation that's holding me to her i would call that you know the covenant that god has entered into between her and i um the second thing is to throw away scientific explanation in favor of biblical interpretation and i think that it's important that word interpretation stays in there because oftentimes you would have to do mental gymnastics in order for that to really be like, okay, well, I have to base these three parameters so that what the Bible says is right. Or what we can do is we can search for God's presence within the tension in between those two. Um, And I I mean, clearly I think that three is the correct choice. Um, But I think that you know, whenever there is that tension, as Pat was talking about, that's mm-hmm. an invitation to know God's character more. Um, and it might not be a conclusion that we're ready for, um, that we like, um, but I think that that's something better. And when we look at a character like Job, you know, Job could have very easily just relinquished and said, you know what, I'm wrong. But that would have, you know, been against what God said in the end. In the end, God said that Job was correct. Mm-hmm. However, he never answered Job. Mm-hmm. And I have to, when we enter into that tension, we have to re- remember that we're not, never guaranteed answers, but perhaps we're guaranteed trust uh, and, the, and the promise that he will draw near to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's a help, uh, another helpful thing. I that thought is, it was helpful. No, I think that's, that's great. That's great. Um, so tell us a bit about, you mentioned that you're kind of working on a Bible basics class, um, and studying Genesis for that. Um, so what kind of does that look like? And then is that something that we can, um, help, you know, promote to our listeners and and something that they can attend in the future? Yes. I promise it's fun. I have (laughs) lots of very bad Bible jokes to go to in case uh, I get that glazed over look that I often do when people talk, you know, middle schoolers (laughs) and college students, not Pretty similar, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's open to our entire church. So some of the, the older people in our church, they glaze over just the same. Um, no, so what I'm doing, it's, it's called the Bible Foundations. Um, and I don't like that, that terminology, Bible basics, yep. because it's just like, okay, if you don't know anything about the Bible, right. head here. Um, I think that we can be incredibly knowledgeable about the Bible and never be 
compelled to read it rightly. Um, so what what I'm trying to do is is create the foundation from which to dive into everything else. Um, I try really hard to answer two questions. Number one, what is the Bible? And number two, what do we do with it? What are we, how are we supposed to engage with it? Um, so what we do is we talk about the inspiration of the text, who's behind it, um, a little bit about how it was put together, what it's equipped to tell us. And then in the second week, we, we talk a little bit about um, exegesis, uh, which is just reading the interpretation out of the text rather than reading our own interpretation into the text. Because if we want to, we can read the Bible to say whatever we want it to, which is a really dangerous thing, uh, as we've mentioned before. And then uh, the the final thing that I try to do is demystify um, this question about how do I even start in my Bible? Um, I don't want to give too much of it away um, because I want you to take the class. No, I, I don't get paid any extra whether you take the class or not. I'm relatable. Uh, I, I offer it um, in a two-week format, the first week being what is the Bible, the second week what do we do with it? But I'm also in the process of making it into an online interactive module um, that I hope to send uh, to share with the church soon so that you can actually just work through it. And especially, you know, while we're in these social distancing initiatives, if we can do something to better engage with the scriptures, then we should. Because, I mean, it's God's word. What other place are we drawing from for our our walk of discipleship, if not God's word. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's great. Yeah, those are those are kind of the two things. I I think it's really interesting. Um, maybe yeah. it's because I did it. So yeah, no, I don't uh, think shameless that, plug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> used to those. Right. Um, yeah, I I would just say like if you are listening, we'll try to have um, the link if it's up online. When and I think we'll have it by then. But we'll have the link in the show notes, and we'd love to share that with you and. From um, everybody that has attended, what I've heard is that they have learned so, so much. And Nathan won't um, really to his own horn, but I've heard so many great things. And I think even just um, what you talked about, understanding where to start, like answering those questions are the biggest hurdles for so many people to get over. And and so that's why we wanted to mention it on the podcast, because we're trying to help people um, get into the Word of God. We believe every... Word is useful, and it's um, supposed to guide guide our lives. And so, I think that's really why we wanted to to talk about it. So, um, if there are young adults who want to reach out to you and connect with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Be it email or whatever. Um, I have a very obnoxious social media presence when I actually do post, which is very seldom. Um, (laughs) I'm on all the cool things regarding TikTok. Uh, I'm not a TikToker. Okay. I'm not brave enough to do that because <laughs> dancing is not my forte in terms of rhythm. <laughs> Same. Um, I have Instagram, which is any Purdue. I have Twitter, which is like, I don't even know my handle, Nathan underscore Purdue or something like that. Um, I'm Facebook, Nathan Purdue. Um, the easiest way probably to connect with me would be email, which is Purdue at C3Hayes.com. Uh, if you email me a question or anything like that, I promise one thing: I will not give an easy answer because I, you know, I think that I was so turned off by easy answers um, 
So I want to do my due diligence to try to answer more completely. I won't guarantee that I will answer the question in the way that you want it to, and it might lead to more questions than it answers. So can't guarantee Perfect. the right answer. I can guarantee a answer, an answer, <laughs> Ugh, grammar, um, however convoluted it might be. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Well, Nathan, thank you for being on the podcast today. I think it's been extremely helpful And we're just so thankful that you take some time out of your day to be with us and speak to our listeners. Of course. um, I'm a big fan of the podcast. So to you, for you to invite me has been a treat. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Encounter YA podcast. If you guys love this episode, would you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review? Here's a clip of what's happening next week on the Encounter YA podcast. Because instead of coming back to Christ and immediately just saying, I'm going to develop this relationship, I immediately said, I need someone to help me develop my relationship. Wow. Yeah. And God's just not, that's not the relationship that he builds. It is not secondhand. It is intimate with me. And so Mm -hmm. until I finally really had my roots in the ground, all of a sudden it was like, oh, so I could totally go to her for anything I want. And it felt so different. My heart posture was completely different by the time that I had um, kind of met my mentor than when I first came back to Christ. 